Welcome to The Performance Show, a videocast interviewing athletes, coaches, and sports scientists from around the globe. Please welcome your host, Lachlan Puyol from Puyol Athletic Development and Performance. Okay, welcome to Performance Show, uh, episode five. We have Coach Mike Farrell with us today. Um, so Mike is a tennis coach, consultant, and a presenter who's presented at numerous conferences around the world. Mike, thanks for coming on. Thanks, thanks for asking me. Absolutely. Um, so Mike is the uh, founder of Evolve9. So for those uh, out there, what is Evolve9? Um, so it was it was formed in, um, what did we form, 2005. So we're getting quite old now. Um, the whole idea was to take a serious look at kids' sport. And obviously we're tennis people, so most of that was in tennis. But... Um, and the idea was uh, the name actually came from like looking after every bit of the environment, you know, so that you, rather than just talking about someone growing or developing, it's like, well, what, what are all the things that around you that creates an evolution in what happens in the world, you know? So how do people grow? What does the environment look like? Um, you know, and, and, and also looking at, you know, how kids develop through that whole space. That was the evolution bit of it. And then nine is just uh, one of my former mentors said nine was the highest number. So it's kind of like, you know, can we develop to the best? That's the concept behind the name. But really, we're the, we're the people that, I guess, are looking after the, the foundations. And, and, and we would like to think that we're very child-centered on this whole thing. You know, most people go into tennis coaching because they love tennis. And then they discovered somewhere along the line, uh, yeah, this is about people, and I don't really know enough about people, and, and that's where you know I always say I'm the one-eyed man in the world of the blind. You know, I, I kind of know a bit, but most people who got into tennis coaching got in, and then realised what the job was really about. Right, and how important is it to teach those fundamentals? As you say, nine is the oldest number or single-digit number. How important is it to um, teach kids the proper fundamental motor skills at a young age compared to 15, 16? Um, well, you know, what we have to remember is growth and development tells us there's certain windows of opportunity to develop certain things and your body's growing and it's developing. And um, one of the ones I like to use a lot of is um, this concept of something called synaptic pruning, which is like by the time you're about 10 years old, your brain's full of all your, let's say your experiences. Um, and you can think of it like um, a garden that's full of plants. Yeah, and it's full and everything's growing and everything's developed. But now in order for some of those plants to continue to grow, you have to chop down other ones. Yeah. Yeah, so if you'd been king of Xbox, for example, um, you know, it might say, well, your brain would subconsciously say, well, that thumb plant we use, that dexterity of my thumbs is really important. But I, as I've been sat on the sofa for the last five years, um, I haven't done a lot of running. So I'm going to get rid of the running bit and I'm going to, to make more room for the so so essentially what our brain does you know at that period of time is it starts to specialize so if you haven't built those skills in the right way if they're not a big part of your life you haven't developed those things you gradually start to lose the potential to build those things yeah um, another easy example for coaches to identify would be with you know sometimes you get somebody come to a tennis lesson normally as an adult who has no ball skills no tracking, no reception. Those things were really developed pre-puberty in most people. You know, your experiences pre-puberty shape you. So now you're, you're faced with this person who's got no ball skills, can't track a moving object, and you're trying to teach them to be a tennis player. It's now not impossible, of course, but it's now 
really, really, really difficult because their their body and their brain had already gone off in other directions, and and now you're trying to, but you know, you're you're trying to send a message down a rusty pipe almost. It's it's, it's just really tough to do. So, you know, if we look at how those things are built, um, you know, all of that stuff is built pre-puberty at least everything um with the exception of some strength and speed stuff that you know can still happen after because your body's gone through major changes so you know it, it's one of those things we have to be really cognizant of 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 you know building the house in the right way doing the right, right things at the right time not if i use the three little pigs analogy you know we we have to build the brick house not the straw house don't whack it up quick and think you've got it because later on it might stress and fall down a bit and that's probably why we shouldn't be so sports specific at, at a young age, because as you said, they're not building the, the right bricks to build the house. They're building the specifics and then they're losing other things. So if you have a five or a six year old kid and they can learn the fundamentals, they can not only play tennis, but they can also, they also have the foundations to go and play basketball, for example. Yeah. And actually that's where I came from. I was a basketball player until I was 13 and then picked up a tennis racket and crossed over. So, um you know it, it's one of those things where yes it's very important um one of the keys we have to understand is 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 this this concept of the development of skill you know tennis is an open skill sport where everything is about you know the definition of consistency is the ability to be able to adapt because every ball is arriving slightly differently and you're sending it slightly differently and, and so there are those finite adaptations you need to make every single time so if you've learned something in a singular way, sometimes that's not going to aid you. Whereas if you've learned something in a, in a way that's got a lot more variation in it, then you can, you can more readily adapt. If you're used to differences, you can adapt much faster. So Whereas, random, that's why, random that's why playing tennis is really important. You know, getting out there and actually playing is really important. And that's why, you know, all these other sports, they're, they're just more, if you like layers, of your ability to um, adapt. The challenge of course for us all is, we all agree that kids should play multiple sports and do these kind of things, but that's from a physical perspective. And you have to look at it from a motivational perspective as well. Like if a kid doesn't get good at something fast enough, in today's world, they lose their motivation. So there's, there's always this balance between, and I, and I call it sometimes, it's like um, getting a kid to eat their vegetables. We know that they should, we know it's healthy, we know the things that they should do, but we have to be motivated to eat their vegetables. So, so we have to be motivated to stick out a whole variety of different things and still come back to tennis effectively. And that's why you know, we have a problem and we'll always have that problem until the world says, and it never is going to, we all need to do multiple sports. Because doing multiple sports is the right thing to do, but are we patient enough? Do we take that brick house from the three little pigs, the long-term plan, or are we just trying to get success really fast? And I, the kids don't see it. And I really think that parents don't see it either. They, they do a term of coaching, 10 weeks of tennis coaching, one lesson a week. And tennis is a sport that you have to play for a couple of years until you can actually successfully serve and rally before it actually really, really comes fun. Whereas like soccer, for example, is, is a lot easier to get that success. Yeah, I mean, so, soccer is the easiest sport to play in the world. On, as a, as a walk-in, mm -hmm. obviously to be a highly skilled soccer player, you have to be really good. But you know, to start with, it's you know, you see the little kids play when they play, and it's just like one kicks it, and then they all run after it. It's like amoeba soccer; they all move one way and they all move the other way. 
Um, Taz, I think um, we're we're a little guilty of not having the conversation about, well, what do you want your kid to get out of this, and and what are the ingredients to get that thing. So, you know, if, if a parent comes in, for example, even at six years old, and says, I want my kid to play college tennis you go okay well i need your six-year-old here three times a week and i want you to practice with him once a week yeah because because i i want to make sure that the ingredients that we put into the formula are going to result in the thing that comes out the other end um if a parent comes in says so i just wanted them to try and see if they like it then once but i would I, I don't really like once a week concepts in tennis it's something we've got glued into and the reason is because you've never i've never met anybody that got good at anything just by doing it once a week. Doesn't matter if it's music, art, sport, learning languages, you know. So any of those things, you have to practice. And, and, and so you have to get enough snow on the rolling snowball, if you like, in order to uh, get that kid to feel like, oh, this is my thing, I'm competent, I'm good at this, this is something I'm, and then the motivation grows. And the problem a little bit sometimes is we sell these once a week programs and then the parents get frustrated and the kids get frustrated. It's not down to ability. It's simply down to not doing enough to, to, to develop a skill. So do you think that kids should be practicing more than once a week? Um, what do you think group versus private? How many privates are too much? Do they need a combination of group lessons like to get a, the social environment and also the one-on-one -on -one time? Um, so, well, I mean, this, this is a discussion we have. We have a group called Evolution, which is our um, kids program, and we have this discussion all the time. And you know, what, one of the important things is to understand that through sport, we're learning and building um, relationships. Now, the origins of sport. I mean, if I, if I ask people what the origins of sport, they say, "Oh, the Olympics." And you go, "No, no, it was way before that. That's just the origins of formalized sport. Um, the origins of, of sport come from, you know." learning skills learning social skills uh, armies learning to cooperate and fight and battle and all those kind of things so um you know if, if you look at what are the what are the origins you come down to well although sport was designed to teach you certain skills certain social skills certain communicative skills certain behaviors so you know it, it, when you get down to well what what are you trying to get your kid to get from this Every parent, we have we have five that we, we nail home over and over again. We say every kid should be respectful to everything in the environment. Every kid should work hard. Every kid should be prepared to try new things. Every kid should be able to deal with adversity. And every kid should be part, be contribute to something bigger, be part of a team. Yeah, so if parents focus on those things, their kid has the opportunity to get the maximum amount of out of tennis if they want to be a performance player they need to be good at those things if they just want to use sport as a vehicle to develop other things they need to be good at those things so if we get back to group individual or that kind of stuff for most people for most kids you want them to learn certain social skills and certain collaborative skills and, and for most kids um the the concept of doing you know that whatever the combination is depends on the 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 outcome the parents are expecting um we try to put privates not as a standard stock um element we try and say okay well, let's do group mostly group stuff but we use the privates 
to deal with the, the the bumps in the road, deal with the holes in the you know the holes in the road. So if, for example, you know you're struggling with something and the rest of the group aren't struggling with it, that's when I'd phone up your parents and say, you know, hey, should we get some privates in here because you know it's just struggling with something. So rather than privates being like every week, I'm trying to sell a private for the same you know for the same kid. Um, which is great for developing the relationship between the player and the coach, but I don't think should be the sole um, delivery. Um, I think it should. We should be a bit more genuine with. Well, this is the pathway that we're creating for our kids. These are the standards. These are the milestones we're trying to get to. This is our curriculum, and this is the time frame we're trying to move along that line. Not a you know. Um, so if a parent comes and says, "When's my kid going to move up?" I say, "Well, this is where your kid's at." Where do you want them to be? And they say, well, I want them to be there. And I go, okay, well, then you need to increase your group numbers or we need to take some privates or do something. But the goals and the destinations should determine that combination of groups and privates and things, not like, you know, here's a fixed menu. It, it depends a little bit based on, you know, the situation in each individual player. And when you work with, I don't know if you probably have before, but when you get a kid who has Asperger's or autism who have a social skill delay how do you make programs more inclusive for those kind of kids um that's where i definitely would have some privates okay because i think the relationship that that is and and you know you have to understand in those situations sometimes sometimes um the group situation is not going to be is not going to look great you know so it needs to be a situation where as much as you can you can be inclusive, you can include them in groups, you can do things together, but you have to kind of have that um, connection. If you've got someone in those situations and you haven't got a connection, that's when it becomes scary for that child to be in that environment. And that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to create environments where they feel everything's consistent and safe. And, and so, you know, whenever you've got that, whether it be something like that, or whether it be something like ADHD or behavioral issue, you have to ask yourself, is the situation right for that kid uh, and, and the other kids in the group? Yeah. 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 Um, how, so how do we set a really positive environment for kids in general um, in terms of equipment, in terms of uh, lesson length, um, all those kind of factors? Um, obviously, the lesson, the lesson length, what you, what you want to do is you want to... Um, I kind of look at the lesson length like climbing a mountain. You climb the mountain, you don't want to climb the mountain tired. Yeah, you want to actually make sure you make base camp before you get tired. You want to try and, you know, you want to do it at your best. So, you know, you, and that sometimes people are looking at lesson lengths and they're saying, well, you know, can we get them to do an hour and a half? Yeah, but maybe the last 20 minutes they didn't learn anything. So what's the point? So the sort of rule of thumb is uh, shorter blocks and more often. But then you have to get down to the practicality of that. So, you know, I work with a club in uh, in New York on Randall's Island, just outside Manhattan. It's a 45 minute commute for almost anybody just to get to that club. So it doesn't matter if you're six or 16, you're coming for a two hour lesson because otherwise it's just not a viable option for anybody. So there, there, are, there are practical things involved in it. Um, I think I would go back to, um, you know, Time, time frames and durations, they relate to, uh, they relate to motivation. I, I, we have three learning principles in our program. We say, 
if learning's not happening, check three things. Um, is the, if, have you got the motivation right? Are you explaining the drill in the right way or presenting it in the right way or does the kid know why it's important to them? Um, if you, uh, if you, um, and then you have to ask yourself, if what's their capacity physically and mentally? Yeah, so um, can they, uh, if, I, if I sort of said physical, you know, for example, if you said, I always say a four-year-old has a body shape of Bart Simpson. It's got a big head, little short arms and legs. So actually, if you really had a body shape like Bart Simpson, you couldn't skateboard like he does at the beginning because your body shape isn't designed to be able to balance and do those kind of things. It's not easy for you to do that. And then mentally, you know, you're, if you're that age, you're thinking about yourself. So when the other kid might hit the ball back at five or six years old, you, you know, it's not your nature to say good choice, your nature to be annoyed that he hit it back. So you have to ask yourself, you know, are, where are they at in their cognitive development? Where are they at in their physical development? And then you get into the other one, which I think we're alluding to a little bit, which is opportunity. Does the environment provide the opportunity to learn things? So it's motivation, capacity, opportunity. And most of the time, if a kid's not learning, you're not making progress, it's because one of those things is not quite right. Yeah, yeah. The balls are too fast or they're bouncing too high or the racket's too big or um, the coach is not explaining it the right way or actually physically and mentally they're just not ready to learn that yet. They don't have the prerequisite skills. Or we've just presented it in a way like, like techniques are a real classic one. You know, techniques really important in tennis. Um, playing tennis without technique is like trying to climb a mountain without the right tools. Yeah. It, 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 it's a pretty crazy thing to do. The technique's really important, but people misunderstand all the kids stuff and they go, oh yeah, we don't, we don't do technique with kids. Oh yes, we do. We just make sure that they know why we're doing it and why it's important and how it's going to help them before we present it to them. As opposed to saying, you have to learn a forehand this way because I, I told you so, or it's the proper way. You know, if you right. say to him, right, do you want to make your opponent run? Do you want to get him off the side so you can hit the ball over there and win the point? Yeah, I'm listening now. Right. But if you decide to be like this, yeah. So there's a big misconception in that. Like, technique's not boring if I want it. Technique's only boring if I'm delivered and I don't really understand why I need it. So as coaches, we've got to sell that technique to the kids. Yeah, and, and they, kids are today, every, you know, the, the, the big question of why am I doing this? Why is it like this? As soon as you have all these alternatives, you know, and, and, and don't forget, like, e-games are a great example of you you get the why in what you're doing everything there's there's always a why i'm trying to build this i'm trying to fight this thing i'm trying to do this or i need that weapon or that tool just like technique i need that thing in order to defeat that monster or get over this bridge or do this thing so they they present it and 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 they don't judge you when you don't when you haven't got it they just say oh go back and find it so now it's like it's totally non-judgmental about e-games so, you know, when we present stuff like that, then, then techniques are totally valid and, and, um, and, it, and it's important and kids want it. Right. But when we present it like the old way of saying, well, this is how it is, it's not something that kids are really going to listen to, not today's kids anyway. So if we take it one step further to, co to introducing competition for the first time, a kid's got to be able to rally. So they've got to have the technical skills and the physical skills. But some kids aren't mature cognitively and they don't understand how to take losing they, um, or, or to accept losing 
when do you think the right stage is for that student to actually um, be introduced to competition? Um, I'll give you a story, real quick story. So we had this really good kid. Um, he's now he's now been through, you know, tried to go pro. I'm that old, and I remember this kid, and he was a very good kid. Everyone was very excited about him. Um, he was he was playing a red ball tournament, um, or maybe it was an orange ball tournament. Um, he's about seven years old, and he came off the court, and he'd lost to some kid that everyone was just shocked. Like, how did this kid lose to that kid? That's just not even possible. Um, and, and he came off and he was crying. And his mum went towards him and, and, you know, like like a lobster with open arms to grab him. It was her baby and he was crying. And I said, what are you doing? And she said, my baby's crying. I need to give him a hug. And I said, hold on a minute. Um, what do you say to your husband when you've had a bad day at work? She said, I tell him to back off because I need wine. I said, okay, he just had a bad day at the office. Let's see what he does. So he looked at her and she didn't really react. And then he went off down the corridor crying and he came back five minutes later no one said anything and he said who do i play next so here's a really interesting thing about competition like i say we compete every day kids compete at computer games all the time kids compete at any all sorts of things the question is not the nature of competition the question is how do i feel about it how do i feel about it and, and that comes from obviously from inside what are my perceptions of the situation and from outside, well, how did I get badged or judged or identified for that thing? So the environment can create pressure or it can alleviate that pressure. And yeah. I, I, I guess adversity, as you were saying before, I think adversity or a kid being able to handle that adversity at a young age um, gives them the life skills going forward. So tennis is really, really important. It provides that um, sort of resilience for them. It does if you it does if you identify it and you focus on it. I always say everyone says school makes you intelligent, but we know a lot of stupid people that went to school. Yeah, you know it's like so tennis. If people say tennis teaches you life skills. No, it doesn't. Tennis okay. gives you the opportunity to learn life skills if your environment rewards it, recognizes it, and that's why we have those five behaviors. You know, we have wristbands and cards and all kinds of diplomas and things. They win for the behaviours, not for winning and losing the match. So, you know, there's there's another thing. It, you know, if you go back to the competition situation, um, we run our competition situation like airline miles. So on airline miles, you, you're trying to get to certain designations. You're trying to get to silver or gold or platinum or executive platinum or whatever. That, you know, they keep coming up with these different ones to give you less benefits, but you get the idea. You're so if, what about if every tournament you played, every point you won at the beginning, when you were little, when you started, was recorded. And when you won 250 points total, you get your first medal. Are you going to compete for every single point? Yeah. yeah. Uh, are some kids going to get there faster? Yes. But it's not a comparative process anymore. So it's now not a situation where, like, I, you know, I get on an airline, I don't care if you're gold status and I'm gold status, as long as I get the upgrade first, yeah. right? I don't care about that. So, so the thing about competition is we, we think it has to be a comparative thing, but, you know, tennis is, is a, what we call, a, you know, an adversarial gladiatorial competition. When you play a match, you're trying to stop your opponent from doing something. Yeah. Athletics, golf, any of those kind of things, 
they're not combative like that. Your performance is your performance and you're measuring it against others' performance, but you don't stop them. There's no one standing in front of you as you go to hit your tee shot. So you know, what we can do is we can take away that element of it, motivate you to continually go along this pathway. So one of the formats we picked up from a, um, actually it was designed by a Norwegian coach. I'm very careful that we always give credit. A Norwegian coach called Espen Foss, who was involved with the national program in Norway, came up with this format called Hot Seat. And the idea was really simple. You played a tie break, but if you beat me 7-3, you leave and you go and collect your seven points. But I stay and I start the next match at three love up. Okay. So it does two things. Eventually I win. My opponent coming on has to deal with adversity because I started three love up. He's just trying to get to his seven. I'm trying to get to my seven. We know we do that by beating the other person. But so, so that, you know, that's... That's what we can do at the beginning. We can create situations where um, the format itself helps, where teams help. Yep. What about if every point you scored was recorded for your team on that day? You turn up on that day and there were two teams. You got to meet your teammates on the day. It wasn't fixed. It's not, it's just like, you know, you reach in a bag, you pull out a wristband, oh, I'm on the yellow team today, you're on the blue team today. And then everything we do we're scoring for our team. So now I might not win very more, more, many points, but my point, my team might have won by two points. So I get that feeling like, oh, well, at least, you know, my two points that I won somewhere on the line yeah. help my team yeah. to win, you know, and, and my team gets to cheer for me and I get to cheer for them. Um, I remember yeah. my brother being at my brother's house one, and my brothers were both into football, my oldest brother a lot. And, um, and, and I were, we were there on a Saturday and, and Sunday league soccer's, a big thing in, in the UK. And his wife said to he said to his wife, "What time is dinner?" And she said, "Oh, it's going to be early tomorrow, twelve thirty or something." And he said, "Oh, okay, I won't, um, I won't play the match then." And she's like, "Well, why wouldn't you play? The match is going to be finished by then." He said, "Yeah, but if I can't go to the pub, I'm not going to play." And I, and I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "Well, if we win, we go to the pub. If we lose, we go to the pub." Now, the nature of a team sport is you celebrate together, you commiserate together, yeah. but it deflects the whole concept of uh, um, this idea of, you know, it's all about me. I can contribute to my team. Um, my team might be flexible and change, but also if I can handle the scoring in different ways so that it's not as adversarial as I want. And then what about if I turn up at a tournament and there's a great social scene going on around the tournament. There are things for me to do off the court. There are things for me to do, you know, with my friends. There's things for me to do with my parents. Why does a tennis tournament for kids start start and end with everything happens on the court? Yeah. 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 So, so now, I'm, now I'm going, okay, there is a result. I did win and lose, but also I got to make friends. I got to do this with my mum and dad. I got to hang out. It was like, you know, there was a tournament inside an event. And therefore, you see where I'm, so where I'm going with this? It's yeah. not that competition's good or bad for kids. It's when it's the sole focus of everything that happens at that time. And when I get judged by it, then I start to feel challenged. And then, then it starts to, you know, influence my own perception and my own self-worth and those kinds of things. And, and that's, it's so interesting that you said the word judged and you see parents when they watch their kids and you always see the kids looking at the parents uh, after every couple of points because they want to get their parents' validation out there. Do you think that's 
where we're going wrong, where the parents are putting too much pressure on their kids to do well? Well, because because parents, we don't. The problem is we don't give parents the right. Um, we don't give parents the right tools to know what to watch. So as I said, our, our program focuses on five behaviours, um, and and we explain to parents that's what you should want. And I, and I do it this way. I say, um, let's imagine tomorrow. I can tell you, your kid will not get ever get a single penny from tennis. They won't be a tennis coach. They won't go to college. They won't play professionally. They won't ever earn any money whatsoever from any of their tennis activities. What do you want them to get by putting them in a tennis class? And, you know, obviously some, you get some pushback. Well, I want my kid to go pro, whatever. And, you, and then you go, okay, but hold on. Let's just, let's imagine that's the scenario. And they come back with, well, I want them to learn discipline. I want them to learn focus. I want them to be a good sport. I want them to be respectful. I want them to solve problems. And they, so they come back with all these things. And then I always say, and I use, I use this example, you know, intentionally. Okay, now um, tell me about Roger Federer. Describe Roger Federer in terms of characteristics. And then after a few minutes, they go, it's exactly the same list. And so then you get down to, it doesn't matter if you want your kid to be the next Roger Federer, which is, I don't believe that you should quash anybody's dreams. If you want the kid to be the next Roger Federer, go for it. Or if you just want your kid to develop as a human being through sport, you have to focus on those five things. And that's the job of the coaches and the parents. The parents' job is not to coach their parents on strokes or techniques or teach them how to play tennis. The parent's job is to foster a love of sport in that kids, foster a love of an active life, and focus on those behaviours. So as soon as you focus on those behaviours, you start to see a situation where your kid might be losing as, how well did my kid deal with that adversity? And how you could be proud of them, you know? I had one kid who, he was playing a tournament, he was seven years old, and the other kid was making terrible line calls, really bad line calls. And, 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 and I don't know why, but just he was making really bad line calls. And the kid said, um, he stopped the match and he said, uh, okay, are you sure the ball was out? And he said, yes. I said, okay, just wanted to let you know I'm not happy with that call. Right? So then the kid makes another bad line call and then he says, okay, I need to let you know I'm not happy with that call. That's the second time. If you do it again, I'm going to call the referee to come and watch the game. So you can imagine now I've got this seven-year-old who is like the cool, like he's like Top Gun. He's like super cool, right? Meanwhile, his dad is climbing the fence about to call the other kid a cheater and oh, shouting at him. Yeah. And there's a lot of tension off the court. The seven-year-old's on the court being super cool, right? So that happens a third time. And he says, okay, and just does it like that. Okay, we need to stop at this point. Could somebody please ask the referee to come, right? Now, at this point, dad is like steam coming out of his ears. His head's about to explode. This kid's cheating my son, blah, blah, blah. And I said, dad, you're just missing the point. If your kid was up for adoption at this point, I'd be wanting to adopt him. He's shown so many respectful mental characteristics dealing with adversity. This is everything that you put your kid into tennis for. If you don't take your kid for ice cream after this match, win or lose, and by the way, he did win in the end anyway, um, then then you're, you're missing the point of why he's here. And, and, and we sat down with you after, about a week later after a coffee, and he said, I'm really sorry, Michael. I just, I was, I was just, so, I just so wanted my kid to be successful. 
And I said, yeah, that's like, that's like celebrating when your kid puts the flag in the top of the mountain. You're not celebrating his, his ability to plant a flag. You're celebrating all the work he did going up that mountain and all the skills and all the time and all the prep it took to do that and all the determination and characteristics that he had to show in order to get there. So it's really rewarding so, the behavior rather than yeah. the actual result. And, 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 and we just need to get parents to understand that. But more than that, we need to understand that. Because, and we need to stop talking about this or this. Oh, the kid's a recreational player or he's a performance player. Well, it doesn't matter because they still need those characteristics. Yep. We need to build cultures that emphasize those things. Absolutely. Because those things then, you talked about you know, what makes a motivational, inspiring environment. When I start to recognize and reward the things that kids can genuinely control, everyone is motivated. If I recognize you worked hard and you get a reward for working hard, you're motivated. You, you under, but I, you can't control your abilities finitely. If, if, if we turn up at tennis and you're seven years old and you've never played before and I've never played before, but I've been sat on the sofa playing Xbox for the first seven years and you've been running around in the garden with your two brothers and you've got a very active set of parents. It's not my fault you're more skillful or more sporty than me. But we can both be successful and achieve stuff because we can both control behaviors. Yeah. We can both accept adversity and be respectful and do. So, you know, it sounds like a very cheesy way of approaching it, uh, but, but it's really not it's because it's, it's, it's not. actually how you build a performance environment as well. So we're putting a big circle around the word behavior and it feels like you can actually use that at every single level of sport, whether it's, whether it's a five-year-old kid playing Red Bull or a performance athlete making millions of dollars a year. It's, yeah. the, same, it's the same thing. Of course. Um, it's, it all comes down to those, those five things. Yeah. My, and my last um, question I was going to ask you, Mike, was what are your thoughts on participation trophies? So if that kid goes and plays, they lose they get a participation trophy. Do you think that's this one's, this one's actually easy? I never give a participation trophy, but I will say this. If you talk to most um, professional tennis players, I, I, I'm very lucky every once in a while I get to this, co this course for WTA and the ATP. It's for players rolling off the tour. And, you know, you don't have any, um, you know, very few number ones in the world. I think the highest ranked player we ever had on the course was Mary Pierce, who was amazing. But, you know, these are players, you've, some, you know, quite often you've heard of them if you're a tennis fan. And they're retiring, they're giving up, you know, their, their life on the tour. And there's a course that shows them a smorgasbord of different things. So I asked them about this. And I said, you know, is there something you collect from every tournament that you play at? And almost all of them said, um, well, apart from towels, which seem to come from the Grand Slams. But I've got this picture of professional players with, you know, but... They collect their accreditation. They keep their accreditation. They've got something like, I don't know if you can see this over here on, on this side over here, but look, there's the ones I've been to when I've been to tournaments and conferences. Yeah. They, they collect those accreditations. And so when we get down to participation trophies, it's real simple. If you want to give everybody something for playing the tournament, do it when they arrive. Right. It doesn't need to be a trophy. Because the trophy should be given for somebody winning something or achieving something. So if you want to give somebody, everybody something, they can get an, give, give them a nice lanyard with a nice player pass, make them feel special. Give them a, a you know, if you want to give them a passport that says, you know, your official competitor and, and give them, you know, if you want to, if you've got sponsors and you want to give everybody something, 
but you do it at the beginning. You that don't is, create is. participation trophies because yeah. a trophy, what you do by doing that is you demean that the, um, the actual achievements of people. Now, I'm not saying, remember, that the only trophy you give is for winners. We would reward those behaviours. And at any point in time in a player's lessons or um, competitions or practice or anything, they have the potential to win something for those behaviours, for showing an outstanding behaviour. But, you know, a most improved player and something that's valid. But, but I'll tell you my, my example of this. Um, when I played soccer for a few years and, and there was a trophy that basically they gave out for the kid who wasn't very good. And it was the kind of like, ah, oh, bless kind of trophy, you know, the kid who never wins anything. And, and I used to win that one. And I used to hate it. I used to hate it because I'd walk up to the front to collect this trophy and you could hear everybody else whispering, ah, oh, bless, you know, he's getting it because he's not very good. He's the special yeah. kid. And, you know, that's one reason I dropped football and went to basketball. Um, so, so at the end of the day, you just have to be really careful because if you give something that's meaningless, you demean the thing that is meaningful. Yeah, and 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 it, so it's just it's just everything's gone the wrong way. It's not that we only reward winners. There are more important things to reward than winning and losing. Um, and that's why you know we use that system like we do with the airline miles for competition. Because now everyone's on their own track. Everyone's on their own. The more tournaments they play, the more points they can get. The more they can get, the faster they can get to their, you know, their medal. Their, their, their which is it's a bag tag, not a medal. But you know, they can get to that thing. They could earn it, but they earned it. They didn't just get it for nothing. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, Mike. That was that was really awesome. Um, Got a lot out of that, and I'm sure a lot of uh, parents and coaches are really going to benefit um, when I upload this um, next week. Um, I really hope, to, hope we can um, stay, in, stay in touch, and maybe we can um, meet up at the next uh, tennis conference if they have it, hopefully in November this year. Yeah, for sure. Um, we, we have, a, we have an, a virtual conference going online August okay. 14th to 23rd. It's called It's My Game. You can find it on the um, Evolve 9 Facebook platform, or um, you can go to conference.evolve9.com. So we've got 25 speakers, over 40 hours of content, all focused on kids' tennis. And that's virtual online, right? It's virtual. So we, we, it, it's the biggest ever just on kids' tennis because we've been able to get speakers. You know, the, the nature of running a conference is you, you normally can't afford to get all the speakers that you want. Right. But of course, there's no travel costs. It's just uh, a speaker fee for everybody, you know, from, from their own home, their own home venue. So we've been able to get, yeah, we're, we're over 25 speakers now over 40 hours of content so um any coaches out there that would be if, and you and if you sign up for the top package you get to keep all the content for a year it's all it's all online so you can reference it and go back to it with your teams and work at it so that'll be there okay great and when i when i post this i'll put that down the bottom um cool. so people can actually can access the link if you if you send that to me okay all right great thanks so much mike no worries all right have a good rest of your week you too bye bye all right, take care.